Hi, my name is Dave Butler, and welcome to the Scoliosis Experience. We are here to talk with real people, both patients, parents, and providers, to bring hope and clarity to the road ahead. Thanks for joining us, and let's get started. Hi, and welcome to today's episode. I'm Dave Butler, and today I talk to Dr. Mike Gardner, who's an orthopedic surgeon at Stanford. He discusses with us his philosophy on scoliosis treatment. He shares his experience with treating scoliosis in the past and gives some some tips and some advice for those dealing with scoliosis. He deals mostly with adult scoliosis and he has developed an online uh, an online membership system and an online website where you can go in and get memberships to learn scoliosis specific exercise and other things like that online. One of the coolest things we talked about is he's using a technology to do three-dimensional scans of the the back with just your cell phone. So if you go in and you sign up for one of the memberships, you can use three-dimensional scans to monitor progression of your curve and to, to see kind of the magnitude of the curve. Pretty cool stuff and pretty cool things that are happening with technology these days. So if you are someone with adult scoliosis who has back pain and you feel like you've been been kind of left left to figure this out on your own, or you are someone who is wanting to learn more about scoliosis and spinal deformities, this is a great episode for you. And I'm grateful that Dr. Gardner took time out of his schedule to talk to me about scoliosis and the cool things that he's doing. So hopefully you get something out of this. Hey, I'm here with Dr. Michael Gardner. He's a orthopedic surgeon. And uh, today we're going to talk about scoliosis treatment and some cool options that he has available online and, and some other things. I also want to pick his brain on his thoughts and ideas on scoliosis treatment. I met, well, this is actually the first time I'm actually meeting Dr. Gardner. And they reached out to me to see if we could collaborate on something. And I think it's a fantastic idea. So Dr. Gardner, welcome and kind of tell us about yourself. Awesome. Thank you, David. Thanks for having me on. Great to meet you and really a uh, pleasure to be here. Um, so yeah, as you mentioned, I, I'm an orthopedic surgeon, uh, work currently at Stanford University. And, you know, my interest in scoliosis has really been spanning over a few decades now. Uh, when I was a resident uh, training in orthopedic surgery in New York City, started in 2001. And you know the way residency training goes, you get kind of finite blocks of the different subspecialties. And when I was doing my spine training kind of section was my first exposure to scoliosis. And, you know, orthopedic surgery training is mainly around surgery. And so we had doing a lot of surgeries and spine surgery is, you know, has a new a new doctor at the time, it's shockingly major. It's a huge deal. Yeah. yeah, I remember looking across the table at the main surgeon mentor mine being like, wow, this is this is actually like spine surgery to people. This is like <laughs> unbelievably invasive and everything else. And yeah, it was the modern principles, but it's just how it is. Um, and then so you know it's a bunch of surgeries, but then you do go to, you know, you you shadow the your mentors in an outpatient clinic and 
talk to people, hear their stories. And it really, after seeing a bunch of these surgeries, which just seemed like you would want to avoid this at all costs and talking to people like, how, how did you end up here? What was your path? And there were a lot of different paths for people with scoliosis that ended up getting this extremely invasive thing, but just started hearing a recurrent theme of like, you know, I was a teenager and they missed it. And I was a teenager and they saw it, but the scoliosis specialist was a hundred miles away and I didn't have pain and my mom worked and they, we just kind of blew it off. And then 10 years later, now it's worse. And I'm in and over and over and over about, and then there's some adult patients with scoliosis um, who have pain. And, you know, I guess we can expand on all these system things later, but you know, I just started seeing a number of different ways, like the medical system. And again, like, you know, you go into train surgery training, kind of very optimistic view and rosy view of the world and just seeing how the, the system really is problematic for so many patients and how prevalent scoliosis is in adults. And so there's a, just problems with people getting effective treatments for scoliosis that don't involve uh, surgery. And then also, you know, almost all these patients were on pretty long-standing pain medication. And this was kind of even before, again, early 2000s, like, you know, the, the there was mainstream media about the opioid epidemic. But right. even, even then, it was like, you know, I take two Percocets three times a day and all the problems that go along with that. People hated being on pain medication, but that's what, it, that's what treatment was until you got to the point of needing surgery. So just these total disasters of, of, uh, you know, system pathways and really sad patient stories. Um, and then, so went on, I actually kind of found a, uh, found a, a mentor that resonated with me and he was an orthopedic trauma surgeon. And so as I was kind of deciding what to specialize in for my career, I gravitated towards that. Um, but all along the way, you know, I, I've always kind of kept an eye on and talking to my scoliosis partners and, and about how current treatments were going, how they changed. There are technologies that are tried both for diagnostics and for surgical kind of just following along with the field. And, you know, we've all seen how technology has changed in the last 10 to 20 years. Yeah. It's come a long way. And, and, you know, so then I, so then I had my first job in St. Louis, at Washington university. And then I moved to Stanford about seven years ago and, got to know the scoliosis people here at Stanford and yeah, they just look back and like, wow, now we're in 2020 or whatever. And things are exactly the same. Like nothing has actually, at least, you know, in a, in a 20,000 foot view, there are still the same problems with diagnosis, with access to, to good non-operative care, you know, primary care physician, treatment of back pain. There's so many problems along the way. And so piqued my interest. And then, um, also can, you know, get into it later, but, um, decided to kind of find a technology and start, uh, you know, a, an intervention plan and try to change the system really a little bit also maybe a little idealistic, but, but really, and then now we've assembled a really passionate team and we're really trying to change the system for so many people. Yeah. And I think that's, it's interesting. You talk about how technology has really progressed so far, but really spinal fusion for scoliosis is like you said, very similar to what it was a while ago yeah. and, and how we treat. That's one of my frustrations as a, as a physical therapist, how we treat doesn't necessarily 
reflect what's in the research or what's best for our patients at, at this point. Yeah, hundred percent. Now, of course, spinal fusion can help some people. Uh, on this topic, I, yeah. I, it struck me as so interesting. Again, when I was first learning about scoliosis and surgical treatments, and many patients would come back, especially at an academic center, which is kind of a tertiary referral center. You get referred a lot of complex patients, and uh, so many patients come in with this diagnosis that's called failed back syndrome. Yeah. And I'm like, what's that? How's this work? And it, it turns out like patients who have just had fusions followed by multiple other surgeries, chronic pain, and there's no real explanation or no true like anatomical or physiologic diagnosis. It gets put into this wastebasket bucket of just failed back. I mean, it says it all, right? The, your whole team of doctors has run out of ideas and it's just failed. And we don't really know now what's wrong with you. And it's just, it's a terrible situation that so many people are in. Yeah, I mean, you you probably see it every day. I see it every day. It's it's all over the place, and there's there's got to be a better way to to do that. Yeah. So, what uh, you kind of talked about what brought you to have a desire to work with spinal deformity patients. Um, so, kind of give us a rundown of how you feel like it can be improved. You gave us a a uh, kind of an overview of how it might be going wrong, but what how could we improve that? Yeah, for sure. So I'll give you the the real high level view of my yeah. thoughts, which are maybe unrealistic and kind of holy grail. But, you know, unfortunately, the U.S. healthcare system is is set up with some perverse incentives for physicians and especially surgeons. You know, being one myself and everybody's, you know, practice setup can be very different. But in general, despite having uh, indicators over the last 10 years that there was going to be some value based kind of medical systems getting in coming into place. The reality is still after having talked about that for a decade the vast majority of medical care is fee for service. And so what that means as a surgeon is the more surgery you do, the more money you make. And it's just human nature. These are bad people. We, I mean, me included. No, you know, we don't have nefarious motives, but it's just human nature that when you're deciding on what to do for a patient, it's uh, in the back of your mind. So anyway, what that means is that the scoliosis experts in this system are the surgeons generally. Yeah. And surgeons then are not incentivized to find and implement, be knowledgeable about, spend the time with patients to provide, you know, effective non-operative treatment. You're just not incentivized to do that. And so that's one issue. Now, again, to change that in the system, I think a lot of people recognize that would be very helpful for a lot of reasons. That's obviously a, a major, you know, a, a major thing. You know, and I guess on a, on a smaller scale, primary care doctors or the first stop for many people who have back pain, um, also maybe just a systems issue, but are tasked with screening, monitoring for dozens of diagnoses, uh, including back pain. But yeah. you also may have a blood pressure issue and you need a colonoscopy and you've got anxiety. You know, there's a million things that 
that group of physicians is responsible for taking care of. And so they don't, they don't have the time or training often or desire often to, to really dive into and spend time on patients, patients' back pain. So, you know, really there's this intake person, generally primary care, uh, and then there's a specialist. And so in the middle, there's not a great system or service for patients uh, to get education. I mean, the many patients that we see now one of their main things is like, I just don't know what to do. Like nobody really tell me what my options are. Should I see a therapist? Should I do this straw? Should I do an injection? I have, I just don't know. And so, you know, education to, to geared towards patients, I think could be much improved in, in the system. So I think that that's a reasonable, um, reasonable goal in terms of trying to, trying to improve things. Yeah. And I think it's, it's interesting because what you're talking about right now is what we deal with every day in physical therapy. I mean, I don't know how many patients come in that I talk to them and I'm like, well, what have you done? And they say, oh, I've done an MRI. I've done injections. I've done, you know, medications. I've met with a surgeon. I'm like, has anyone tried to get you stronger or work with you conservatively? And it's, it's still surprises me. Of course, I'm a little biased to what I do, obviously. But it still surprises me how often we're not addressing the basics of it. We're trying to go higher level than I think we need to. And sometimes it's because uh, some providers feel like patients won't do it or they won't be compliant with it. So why waste our time on it or something? I, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of reasons. But yeah, there's, there's a gap between that. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So I think, you know, you talked about having that you know, using, using those systems to, to get people better. What, what do you do in the, the practice that you're, that you're building right now? Like what, what do you change with that? Yeah. So this, so we've tried to address some of the issues I've mentioned. And the first is access. So, hmm. you know, we've loved to see the Schroth therapy data become more and more and pretty clear that it that it works very well. Interestingly, like even at Stanford, a metropolitan area in Palo Alto, uh, patients looking to get Schroth therapy um, for their scoliosis have a hard time getting in and they have a hard time getting insurance to cover it. It's just they're the the appropriately trained practitioners are sadly few and far between. Yeah. Well anyway, access is one thing. So we are trying to design, so we've designed what we call the scoliosis solution. And, and what that is, is a starts with a 3D scanning app uh, that's now FDA cleared that patients can take a, a scan of their back, both standing up and bending forward. Mm-hmm. And the, the important thing, I mean, as, as you know, that scoliosis is not only a curve of the spine that we measure in two planes on an x-ray, but it's also a twisting of the spine. And so the more severe it is, the larger the hump or asymmetry of the back. And so it's, it's amenable to be quantified by a kind of a surface scan. So we use, we use kind of an AI algorithm to assess and measure the severity of the scoliosis. And scoliosis is very different aside from the magnitude of the location on the back, whether it's, you know, thoracic or lumbar or, or elsewhere. Anyway, so patients get a 3D scan, which 
can help provide our team some insights into the particular details of that that patient's uh, curve. And then we've got a, a virtual program um, of scoliosis-specific exercises um, kind of based on Pilates and some other, there's some sh- kind of some Schroth principles in here mm-hmm. um, that patients can get some guidance on a specific program uh, from our from our team based on their scan and some other components of their history. Um, and then they can go through some of our programs virtually. Uh, now, obviously, the downside of virtual therapy programs means you don't have somebody there helping you and coaching you. And that's obviously a major component of physical therapy. (laughs) Um, But we found that there are some exercises geared towards scoliosis that can actually be very effective. Um, And, and, you know, we've got a ton of patients who have been helped by this. So anyway, so then it's kind of self-directed on-demand virtual um, exercise sessions. Um, And then the third component is, you know, I guess another symptom of patients not um, really falling into the purview of a specific medical practitioner type who has the time to spend is there are a lot of other ancillary services that people need and benefit from, like bracing services, mm-hmm. psychological services, uh, in-person physical therapy, surgeons, support communities, et cetera. So we kind of help coordinate all of those things for patients, depending on what their need is. That's great. I mean, I think access is one of the hardest things for, for scoli- like really good scoliosis treatment now. I think straw therapy, when I started in, so I got certified in 2015, and I was the only one in Utah at the time that was certified in Shroth. And wow. now now that's progressed. And I think most larger areas, metropolitan areas have Shroth treatment available, but still access with insurance, access with, I mean, I still have patients that drive four or five hours to come see me. And so wow. it's, it's, it's pretty common, but I think that's the smaller piece of the population who's willing to do that. And so I think having something where, like you're right, full-blown Schroth, I don't know that it can be done virtually or online, but I do think some of those principles like you're talking about can help guide people in the right direction so that, I mean, something's better than nothing, right? And uh, that's great. Yeah. And just on that topic, you know, we, so we've run a bunch of webinars just uh, with some information about our program, et cetera. Uh, we, we get a lot of patient, uh, a lot of questions. Maybe the most common question we get is like, I've looked in the Shroth, I'm signed up. Like, how does this, how does your program relate to Shroth? And, um, and what we've been saying, which is what we believe is that, you know, Shroth is great, very effective hard to access for most people. And our exercise programs are a great complement to a Schroth program. Right. And so it can be something additionally people can do in 15 minutes every day um, in addition to a a formal session. Well, and I like the idea of, and I was looking at your website, I think you guys have, you have memberships that that people sign up for. And I think that model, because one of the biggest struggles with Schroth therapy is compliance. And having a membership model can definitely help with the compliance aspect of treatment, whether that's in conjunction with Schroth, whether that's independent, I mean, whatever. Um, if we can get people to do more, 
all the better, right? Uh, that would be amazing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and we're working on some features of the app to kind of, you know, ping for reminders. Here's your exercise today and just kind of get great. that engagement because I agree it can help people when they do it consistently, but obviously yeah. you, don't, you don't get the benefit. But Yeah, that's great. Um, with the, going back to the 3D scan, is that just done with their cell phone? Cell phone. You don't need any other hardware. You do need an iOS device. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so not Android yet, but that'll be coming soon. Yeah, yeah. And you, you need someone else to take it for you. We have a, a bent forward, kind of bending forward with your legs straight, arms kind of touching, the you know, heading towards the ground of the back, and then standing upright. So you need someone else to take it. It takes about 15 seconds per scan, and then, um, you know, they, they, they get sent right to us and our team for analysis. So does that estimate the the Cobb angle or does that give any like specific objective data on rotation or ATR or anything like that? Yeah, so it, it does estimate the Cobb angle. Mm -hmm. Actually, we found that, you know, we, we've kind of got two, two different ways the device is used. You know, one is for adolescents where adolescent idiopathic scoliosis, kind of the Priorities one, two, three, four, five, or what's the measurement of the Cobb angle? So it does yeah. measure that. Uh, we found in our adult patients, uh, you know, quantification of the Cobb angle is a little, little less relevant for their treatment. And Agreed. so we're looking at some other metrics of, you know, some pelvic tilt and shoulder asymmetry and skin fold, you know, regions and, and things like that. But yeah, yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, whether the curve progresses five degrees in adult isn't as as crucial as how their sciatica is because of that, you know, stuff. Exactly, yeah. exactly right. Yep. So, well, that's cool. We I've used uh, surface topography, so kind of a three D scan since twenty sixteen, and that's pretty cool that AI is helping to to really crunch the data that we can get just from our cell phone. That's that's just amazing. You know, it's interesting. I, I know you guys use the deer scanner. Yeah. Yeah. So the deer scanner was actually kind of uh, our inspiration a little bit. Oh, yeah. Um, our advisory board members were kind of early researchers and, and publishing the deer scanner uh, mm -hmm. kind of research. And so it, it first kind of indicated the necessity for a non-radiation uh, based quantification of the deformity, yeah, but also kind of getting back to the technology issue we were talking about, like, and this deer scanner is super cool how surface topography works. Um, but now in 2023, you know, with AI and cloud storage and camera resolution, can we capture what the deers does on a cell phone? And it, it turns yeah. out we can. So that's what we use is surface topography yeah. using a depth sensor camera. Uh, similar to a deer scanner. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And and I feel like after having surface topography in my clinic, I mean, I've I've been using it now for almost eight years. Um, it the feedback that my patients get immediately with that, and and that we don't have to worry about X-ray and we don't have to worry about anything like that. And we can do that and compare those side by side. And sure, they may not agree completely with a an X-ray Cobb angle or something like that, but if we're comparing the objective data that that's giving us, that's huge. That helps with compliance. They don't wonder where they are. They can see that their exercises are effective and things like that. So I think it's fantastic. 
Yeah, so that's interesting. So you mainly use the DEERS data for kind of patient demonstration and discussion and like here's our progress or yeah. in that nature? Yeah, so I'm not using it for diagnosis. It, yeah. Most of my patients have an x-ray anyway, so that's the diagnosis aspect of it. We try and correlate it with what the four metric is showing, but really I'm looking at a four metric scan to show pelvic imbalance. I'm looking at to show rotation. I'm looking at sagittal plane and I, I mean, all kinds of things. And it's easier for them to see than an x-ray where you're like, yeah, you see the pedicles are rotated and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know. Yeah, the deer scanner is really cool. And I, and I guess I, I will say I'll walk it back a little bit. Like our technology is based on similar. We right. The deers has a bunch of cool metrics of rotation and a bunch of parameters and measures that we don't fully measure quite yet, but we're planning to get there. Yeah, but I, I mean, heck, it's gotten this far in just a couple of years, probably. Imagine yeah. what we'll be able to do in five to 10 years. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Um, so what... What suggestions would you have for those with scoliosis? Like say someone's listening to this, you, you treat mostly adults, it sounds like. Um, yeah. And so if if you had someone come into your clinic, what are some suggestions, advice, anything like that you'd give them? Yeah, totally. So, I, you know, I think the first thing is just based on what we've heard from so many people when they first come, when we first get in contact with them is like, so, you know, if you have pain from your scoliosis and many have heard like, if you've got back pain, it's not from your scoliosis because that's painless from their doctor. Right. If, you, if you've got pain with scoliosis, you know, if you feel like the system has kind of like ignored you, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's important to realize you're not alone. There's tens of millions of people. Uh, and, you know, by the time many People come to see us. Uh, they've tried a lot. Like, you know, you're talking about too, like I've had injections. I'm on pain medication. I've tried standard therapy. Uh, right. So many have have tried a lot of things. So I guess the next thing I would say is like, don't give up. You, you know, there are things to try before surgery. And most patients have heard that surgery is a last ditch effort, which I would concur with. You avoid that at all costs. Uh, but, but there's hope. There are other ways to eliminate your pain um, without surgery and without medication. Um, and so, yeah, those would be some major messages, I, I guess. Yeah. The, the big thing that I see with my adult patients is they, they've kind of been told, like I had one yesterday, he's like, I'm on my last, uh, uh, not on my last, I'm on my sixth or seventh injection and he keeps hitting bone and he can't get to the right spot. And and those aren't helping. And I've tried medication, but I'm kind of done with that. I'm not ready for surgery, or maybe they're progressed too far that surgeons won't touch them. And they're kind of left to, uh, I don't know, you know, right. figure it out on their own. And, That's right. and so yeah. those, those patients that are not, you know, they're not ready to throw in the towel as I mean, they shouldn't be, but they feel like they, they need to, because everyone said, you know, just deal with it and and wait until it gets bad enough to need like major surgery or something. Sounds like those people are, are kind of perfect for the program that you have. I think so. You know, it's, it's something else to try. We've had great success. You know, we're partnered with kind of the, 
the one of the largest scoliosis specific exercise schools in the country and um and we've got great success so yeah it's worth i think it's worth trying and it's something you can do proactively um every day on your own and get guidance from our experts etc yeah i mean even if we can get people just to sit a little taller and fight gravity a little bit more i mean heck that's that would that would be success you know it goes a long way yeah so cool great so i a quick question on the the prevalence of adult scoliosis. I was talking about this with some of my therapists yesterday, and and I don't know that you have an answer to this, but we always talk about adolescent scoliosis is like three percent of the population, you know, give or take. Um, I've seen some research that shows adult scoliosis or spinal deformities uh, quite a bit more than that. Some studies all the way up to like twenty four percent or something like that. Um, I don't know if, if you have any data or any insight into that. How, how prevalent is this condition? I do, actually. So there's two really interesting papers. Uh, one uh, found that in patients over 60, mm-hmm. the prevalence was 68% of patients over 60 with a cob angle greater than 15. Wow. And, you know, now not all of them are symptomatic, but... Right about half were symptomatic. Another study was a meta-analysis of kind of epidemiological studies of 4,000 patients, mm-hmm. 38% of those patients over 40. So we ran some quick numbers wow. and there's about 192 million adults in the United States. That means about 65 million adults in the United States have scoliosis. And again, about 32 million have symptoms at one time or another mainly pain uh, from their scoliosis. And it, you know, it, and it often continues to get progressively worse, which is, it's too bad that, you know, the, the adolescent idiopathic story is often that scoliosis is pain-free. And then once you hit skeletal maturity, it doesn't progress. And we're just knowing that that's not, not that's true. just not the case. Yeah. Yeah. And that, those are big numbers. I mean, those are significant. And it it surprises me all the time when I see one of my chronic back pain patients or a back pain patient, like my, my mother, for example, she came in one day with trochanteric bursitis and I was assessing her and I'm like, we have a pelvic imbalance here. And and I look up, she has scoliosis and and from being in a boot from a foot fracture. And yeah, you know, the, those things can happen to pretty much anybody. It doesn't have to be that you are diagnosed as an adolescent. Totally. To have that happen. Exactly. So yeah, that, that uh, there's a lot of people out there that this can help because a lot of them are told, yeah, your scoliosis isn't causing your back pain. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. right. yeah and, I, and I just quickly say on the incidence thing and, what you just reminded me is so they're kind of we think of scoliosis in adults as being in two types right some are adolescent that progress but others termed you know adult de novo scoliosis develop as adults and this is more of a degenerative nature but it's scoliosis and it's a structural source of back pain you know nonetheless so yeah and it needs to be treated from three dimensions it doesn't need to be well core strengthening is helpful and important yes but we need to take into account the curve and the imbalances that are there. So exactly, that's great. Um, so if someone is interested in pursuing, you know, getting in contact with you or figuring out how 
your staff might be able to help them, what do they do? Yeah, thanks, David. So we have, I, I mentioned the scoliosis solution is a part of the National Scoliosis Clinic. Mm-hmm. And so our the information about our program is on nationalscoliosisclinic.com. Uh, again, it's a monthly uh, monthly membership with uh, cancel anytime, money back guarantee. So, you know, if things are seeming like they're a good fit for you, cancel anytime. And so we, but uh, we, we've had very few, interestingly, you know, we launched about four months ago and we've had very less than 10%, less than 6% of people um, who end up canceling. So the vast majority of our patients are finding value and getting pain relief and continuing with the program. So we're super excited to keep building and growing and and helping as many people as we can. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's fantastic. There are people who may not be as compliant with full-blown Schroth treatment coming to see me that that may totally benefit from this. Or this yeah. might be a good a good addition to help people be more consistent with the stuff that we that we work with them on. So I think there's there's a lot of opportunities for that. And good That's for you guys for putting it out there. That's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, we're we're excited. The team is all pretty fired up and we're uh we're we're moving things are moving quickly and yeah. we've seen a lot of just really great testimonials which you know we post on our internal messaging like this is kind of what drives us to keep going people just like i i am at my end of my rope and thank god i found you kind of thing and so it's it's really what drives us that's great what's coming in the future for the national scoliosis clinic is there something else in the in the hopper yeah yeah, absolutely so we you know we've kind of prided ourselves as being a very customer-centric company so we talk to our customers every day and we get get really interesting feedback, you know, like, like any, any offering, you know, what we think people want isn't necessarily what people, so we're listening to people and we're getting a lot of great ideas for, uh, for building our product roadmap. So there will be a number of uh, interactive features, uh, obviously much more uh, programming. Uh, we're, we're doing some exercise series on like osteoporosis and scoliosis mm foot issues with scoliosis, uh, pelvic floor and scoliosis. So there's a lot of sciatica and scoliosis. So uh, some specific programming and some interactive things uh, and uh, some automation as the AI continues to improve as well. Yeah, much needed and easy access for people. That's that's what I think is going to be really, really good for it. So I'm, I'm actually curious to go in and, and uh, sign up and scan somebody and see see how that works. That sounds really cool. Yeah. Yeah. If you know, if you're interested in using it as a practitioner, we definitely, definitely talk. That'd be, that'd be really cool. That's great. Yeah. Uh, any last words of advice for those listening? Uh, no, you know, I, I guess the only thing would be, you know, again, don't give up hope. It, you know, back pain is tough. It changes your life. Uh, treatments are available. It's a, a bit of a marathon. And so, you, you know, there are no magic bullets, unfortunately, but, with a little bit of persistence and focus on exercises you learn with David or do separately on your own, you know, work on every day, your lifestyle can be improved and your pain can be decreased. Awesome. Awesome message. I appreciate you being on the podcast with me, Dr. Gardner. Yeah. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. 